Thank you, Alan. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you again. Um, I'm with you for uh, a couple of Sundays, continuing what I think is a, a short series, looking at, at the family. Um, next week, we'll be having a, a look at how we can make family fun. Um, I'm wondering whether to invite my children along to see whether uh, I'm going to speak the truth next week. Um, but that will be interesting, and I appreciate prayer as I just think how to put that together. But this week, um, who shapes the family? Who shapes the family? Teaching in the family, that's what we're looking at. Now, I'm wondering, uh, there was two ways I could have approached this. I could have approached it, um, who should shape the family? Or who does shape the family? So let's just start with that for a few moments. And, and you think, and uh, if you can contribute here, it would be good. Who does shape the family these days? Not particularly your family, because I'm sure you are brilliant examples to society around. But thinking more broadly in our culture, what are the influential factors in shaping families and family life these days? The telly, the television, so the media in general. I couldn't help but to have ringing in my mind the words of um, Barbara Windsor, who used to be a prominent character in uh, EastEnders, um, where I think the only line that was ever written for her was, it's family, it's family. <laughs> it comes back all the time. I thought, well, how much does a family mean to you? You keep going off for three months and leaving them and then coming back again, but that's... A that's another thing. Anyway, so the media, and we get our examples perhaps from the media. Uh, what else shapes a family? Money. Or the lack of it. Okay. Anything else? Peer pressure. So other families can shape families, and within that, uh, children can be shaped by their peers, particularly when they go to school. I remember when my eldest started school. That was a a big point psychologically for me as a father, because for the first time there would be other individuals influencing my daughter and suggesting perhaps a different value system to what she had had for the first four, four and a half years of her life. Yeah, anything else? Yes. Um, a friend of ours uh, called Grace Major um, was a teacher at a, a, a prep school in uh, Warwick. And uh, she used to say that so many of the children that came to her school had Swedish accents because the nannies were from Sweden. All right? And so they picked up the nanny's accent rather than parents. Okay, so all sorts of influences. Um, not to mention nature, what's actually part of the child. Uh, grandparents, um, other family members, friends, environment, the uh, culture into which a child 
is born will influence them at all. Well, they're the sorts of things that do shape families. And we can't help it that many of those influences are very strong, particularly in our society today. But what should shape the family? Well, uh, you don't just need a speaker like me. You can go to bookshops and uh, get plenty of books that will help you on this. There are courses that are run to help you to uh, bring up the family well. And uh, in recent years, the church has particularly picked up on this and are running many parenting classes, uh, many of which are, are excellent, I am sure. But there is a danger if we go to books, if we uh, go to courses, uh, of providing wisdom that is drawn from the culture, um, which may provide some good ideas and might come up with some common sense on how we bring up a family, how we shape a family. But what I want us to do this morning is to have a look at a few scriptures and see what the Word of God says and the principles that are there in the Word of God, which will be applicable to every culture, every age, and every type of family, from the nuclear family, mom, dad, and 2.4 children, right through to extended families, which you might get more in Eastern cultures, but also uh, sometimes here in the UK as well, to single-parent family situations where you've got mom, and or, mom or dad just bringing up a child by themselves. So a few scriptures that we're going to look at to provide a bit of a basis for this. One we've had read to us already by by Alan. Um, uh, but let's just turn to it again, and we'll just read a few verses. This is Deuteronomy and chapter 6, and verses 4 to 9. And we read this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. You should better say that off by heart now. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And then over to verse 18, which is a bit of a conclusion. This is a consequence of that. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised on an oath to your forefathers. And then a few readings in Proverbs. Proverbs is full of good wisdom on how to live, some strange things in there as well. But Proverbs chapter 31. The sayings of King Lemuel. Verse 1, the sayings of King Lemuel, an oracle his mother taught him. Okay? His mother taught him. Verse 26. She spake with wisdom. And faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. So talking about the influence of mother there. And then into the New Testament and 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy in chapter 1. 
And here we have the Apostle Paul reminding Timothy of the major influences in his life, particularly when it came to coming to faith. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Two Timothy one and verse five. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. And over to chapter three. And verse fourteen. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scripture, which is able to make you wise for for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So there we have a few scriptures, and we could look at others as well, which talk about the influence of certain individuals on the family, on children. And the way we're going to look at this, this morning is using Mr. Kipling's principle. Not Mr. Kipling who makes exceedingly good cakes, but Rudyard Kipling who um, said many years ago, and I've used this uh, when looking at passages of scripture and subjects on many occasions. He says, I have six faithful serving men who've taught me all I know. Their names are how and why and where and when and what and who. And I find that if you ask those questions, why, where, when, who questions of any subject, you can squeeze a lot of stuff out of it. And so, uh, don't worry, it's not a six-point sermon, but uh, we're going to ask those sorts of questions on this whole subject. And the first one, of course, has been given to me, which is, who shapes, who teaches the family? Well, looking back at those readings that we had just a few moments ago, Proverbs 31, verse 1, his mother taught him. 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, Timothy is reminded by Paul that it was your grandmother and your mother who had an incredible influence on you. And just if you think it's just a female preserve, um, at the beginning of Proverbs, King Solomon says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Now, I don't believe that they are just cultural examples. That's how it took place in the Middle East, both in the Old Testament days and also in the New Testament days. I believe these are abiding principles that we need to take on board today. That the responsibility of teaching, of shaping the family, is from within the family. Who shapes the family? The family shapes the family. Now we may use external resources, and goodness me, there are a lot of those available today, like the educational process, school, books, people, But it's the family that shapes the family. And primarily, of course, that falls on the parents' shoulders. Now, one of the downsides of having a universal educational system, and there are many upsides of having that here in the UK, but one of the downsides of having education available to every child here in the UK is that parents can be tempted to abdicate the responsibility of bringing up their children to the school to the professionals, as we just heard a few moments ago. And the amount of teachers that will tell you, particularly those who are responsible for the reception, the nursery side of education, that the character has been formed in the child before they start school. 
Those first few years are absolutely crucial in shaping a child. Attitudes are embedded before the child starts formal education. You know what a child is going to be before they've even learned that two and two equals four. So it may be hard, particularly in our culture, when lives are so busy and we're under so much pressure, financial and time-wise. But brothers and sisters, the responsibility of bringing up the children is down to the family, particularly the parents and the grandparents and the older brothers and sisters. It's down to the family to to teach, to shape the family. But what do we teach? What are the principles that we embed there? Well, back to the Deuteronomy passage. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7, just summing it up, says, these commandments impress them on your children. It just comes after a passage where the Ten Commandments are repeated and other laws of the Lord are given to his people. And so it's referring back to the law of God. These commandments are the things that you are to impress on your children. Some of you may be aware of the 1988 Educational Reform Act, which um, underlined and uh, reminded schools and they also brought in some new legislation to schools, particularly when it came to religious education, that there should be a daily act of Christian worship. There could be exemptions, but that was the foundation, really. That RE teaching should have a strong Christian theme to it. And it opened up schools for Christian workers, perhaps like never before. And I know that I've benefited from that, the access that I've had into schools to take assemblies, to take lessons, to influence the uh, syllabus within schools of of RE. It's been incredible. And these days, the material that is available for us to help us to bring up our children, and not just the material, but the events, not only what goes on at school because of the Education Reform Act, but the Sunday schools that we have and the kids' clubs and the holiday clubs. And again, I've benefited from these because I've led many such events with many churches over the last few decades. Uh, This last summer, I was involved again with camps where I was teaching young people and children. And uh, that will probably carry on for, I was going to say, until I die, but I don't think they'll want a 60 or 70-year-old padre. But uh, it's going to carry on, hopefully, for a few years where I can influence children and young people through camps and, as I've already said, holiday clubs and missions, etc., etc. But again, the teaching of God's word his decrees, his lords, his commands, his principles that we have in the word of God, the teaching of God's word is not primarily a job for schools or the church or professionals like me. The teaching of God's word is primarily down to the family and those who have authority and responsibility within the family, primarily the parents. There's no doubt the local church should help and supplement the diet, with the activities that are put on. But parents must not abdicate that responsibility of teaching the word of God to the church. It's down to you as parents. It's down to me as a parent, as a grandparent, and those that I have responsibility and influence over. So the importance of God's word, the content of God's word, the warnings, the encouragement, the wonder of God's word, 
should be just as much a part of family life as is eating together and going on holiday together and watching the television together. It's down to us as parents and grandparents and older brothers and sisters to influence the family by teaching the word of God. That's what should be taught. But how do we do that? How is it taught? Because that can give the impression of a very austere sort of Dickensian family life, you know, where all the time we're sitting down and opening the Word of God and say, right, here's the reading for this. And every time something happens, we've got a, um, a, a suitable quote that we can sort of drop into the situation. But as you look at that Deuteronomy chapter 6 passage, I, th- I think you get something that's more lively and more flexible, perhaps, than um, what appears at first. It says, these commandments that you have to impress on your children, talk about it when you sit and walk, and at bedtime, and when you get up. Tie the words as symbols on your heads and your hands. Write them on your door frames. Now, now some of you may be aware that Jews, particularly Orthodox Jews, have taken this to quite an incredible, um, uh, incredible position. That uh, You've heard of phylacteries and mezuzahs. Phylacteries are those little boxes, um, little cubes, in which part of the Old Testament is contained, and it's strapped to the forehead of many Orthodox Jews, or perhaps onto the forearm. Mezuzahs are those little tubes that you sometimes see on a doorframe, and I've often seen Christians use them as well. And again, inside that little tube, there is a rolled-up piece of paper which contains some scripture. Now, okay, fair enough, but for many, it has become ritualistic and almost superstitious. You know, I'll put this on my door and it'll ward off evil spirits, or perhaps the milkman coming for his money, I don't know. But um, it's used in perhaps a way that wasn't really intended here, because the sense here in Deuteronomy is when it comes to impressing God's commandments on the children, shaping the family. There's a variety of ways to do it. And a bit of creativity is required here. Think about the different ways that you can share God's word within your family. You can do it this time, that time, in this way, in that way, which will require a little bit of effort to think, well, what is appropriate to my family? To our situation at the moment, at the age our children are, they might be preschool, they might be at school, they might be young teens. What's the best way of bringing the word of God into my family life at this point? And it will require a bit of thinking. And perhaps next week, as we look at enjoying the family, we might consider some of the ways that the word of God can become part of God's family. And so it's an enjoyable thing. And it isn't just, oh, now we're having our family quiet time. I passed on to um, uh, one of my son-in-laws last week a book that we used as a family for years. It's produced by Scripture Union, and it, over a three-year period, it takes you through the whole Bible. Um, and it's got a, a, a reading and then a comment. You know, you know the sort of thing. And he was asking for something for his family. I said, well, use this. And when my daughter got it, she said, oh, I remember that book. She said, I used to go to sleep when you were doing that, Dad. <laughs> oh, well... It's not always enjoyable, uh, perhaps, but that's one of the ways that we did it. But if if the word of God in our family was just for those times, then she would have got a very negative attitude towards the word of God. 
And I think the idea behind this is sharing God's word in different ways at different times, being creative, means that you don't keep God's word for those special occasions, for Sundays, for the devotions, although they are important and they form part of how we share God's word. But really this answers some of the questions of when we teach God's word and where we teach God's word, not just how we teach God's word. The answer is, well, whenever you can, however you can, using whatever creative method you can come up with. And if we just keep God's word for those special occasions, no, we're going to look at God's word. It can be almost as dangerous as not having God's word at all. It must become spontaneous. And that will take some thinking. But it's done by prayers. Saying thank you for meals. Asking for God's protection before you go on a long journey. It's by reading God's word as a family when appropriate. But primarily it's through the example of those who have authority. That if you've been reading in God's word about patience, then patience must be seen between mom and dad. If you've been reading about forgiveness, then forgiveness must be seen in the family as well as being heard from God's word. When we talk about mercy, mercy must be seen, lived out in the family as well. And it will mean, it will mean that any family that does this, that allows the word of God to become part of everything that it's involved in, it will be different It will be different to the other families that your children come across at school. And they will begin to comment on it. And it may cause a lot of questions. It may, on occasion, cause friction. But if you are consistent within this, it will do something in the family. It will do something in your children, in their very souls, that they will appreciate. And it will give God glory but it will not be easy, particularly as the family can get influenced by other families and they see other examples as they go around to see their friends. But my family, my girls, have often said to me, Dad, we are unusual, aren't we? And I smile and go, yeah, we are. And I say, it's a bad thing. They said, oh, no, (coughs) it's not a bad thing. In fact, we want to replicate that in our families as well. So it will mean being different, but it's a good different. It's a good different. And then finally, why is God's word taught? Sorry, I've forgotten my slides here completely. (laughs) Why, Why is it important to shape our families by teaching God's word? Well, that's why I read that verse 18 in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it's also referred to earlier on in the passage, the extended passage that Alan read to us. Because it says, if you do these things, it will go well with you in the land. You do this because it has a purpose. It has a consequence. And one way of interpreting this is that, well, we do this as Christians so that my family will be blessed. And there's certainly a sense of that, as you read it in God's word, that if you do this, then you as a family unit will be blessed. If you make sure that God's word 
is impressed in the ways that we've explained onto your children, you will be blessed. But there is a bigger sense here. The way that the family is shaped, says the word of God, actually shapes society. The way that the family is shaped will shape society. Not only will you be blessed, but you, in a broader sense, will be blessed. The sense here is the nation will be blessed. If families start living and shaping themselves according to God's word in this way, it will have an effect on society. We said at the beginning that society has an effect on the family. Actually, it's the other way around. It's the family that has an effect on society. I heard an interesting triplet describing a certain group of people. I heard this a week ago last Wednesday. And I want you to just tell me who you think this is describing in our society. Is this describing politicians? Or is this describing the press? Okay? Is it describing politicians or is it describing the press? Greedy, reckless, and irrational. That's a, a triplet... Uh, it's come up in a book and in a lot of discussion forums at the moment to describe who? Greedy, reckless, irrational. Politicians? Or the press? Or it could be the rioters back in August? Well, I set you up there, really, because it doesn't describe any of those. It actually describes the bankers. All right? Greedy, reckless, and irrational. But actually, it could describe politicians. It could describe the rioters. It could describe almost any group in society, couldn't it? And I think it's fascinating that it's actually used to describe the bankers, those generally who had an excellent education, been to the best schools, the top universities, who you think have got their heads screwed on, greedy, reckless, irrational. Why they turned out like that and had such an influence, not just in the UK but globally as well, seems like things are in meltdown at the moment. Well, it's because the principles of God's word have had no part in their thinking and probably very little part in their upbringing, in shaping their worldview and their thinking. If we teach and shape our family well on what the word of God says about greed, about recklessness, about irrationality. If we use the word of God to shape our families, then it will have an effect for good on our society and culture. So that's why we teach in such a way. Not just so it will do us good, but it will have an influence out there as well. So, Who shapes the family? Well, all sorts of things and all sorts of people do. And it is easy to leave the shaping of our family to the experts, to others. We can't do that. If we're part of a family, whatever form that family might take, we shape it. And with God's help and through God's word, we can shape it for good. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Father, we know that these things are not always easy. 
And sometimes it's just so easy to sit back and say, well, that's somebody else's job. I've done my bit. Lord, forgive us for when we do that and help us to take these responsibilities seriously. As we think now of those over whom we have some influence, some authority, we ask, Lord, that you will help us to be those who input into these lives for their good and for your glory. To take your word, apply it to our hearts and our minds and into our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.